something for you. This Christmas season, I want you to know that God has something for you this Christmas season. And so often we think to ourselves, well, it's much better to give than it is to receive. And that's nice. And I totally agree with that. But often it's really nice to receive a gift. And that's what we're talking about here today is the fact that the king, Jesus, came to earth and he has a gift for you and for me this Christmas season. Now, anytime we hear there's a gift for you, you go, I want that gift. And so often... God has a gift for us that he says, I have a wonderful gift for you this Christmas season. How many of you would just sit back and go, yeah, that's nice. Show me something new that I haven't seen before. But what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the word of God, the Bible. And a few moments ago, we read a passage from Matthew chapter number two which I'm not going to reread it, but it was the account of when the wise men came to discover and find Jesus. And they went and found Jesus and what happened afterwards. And the real premise behind this entire thing is the wise men brought gifts for the king, but in reality, the king, that is Jesus, had wonderful gifts for them. Every week at Southwest Baptist Church, we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life, and this week is no different. It's a very simple principle. It is this. God's love is my gift this Christmas. I want you to mold that around in your mind. God says, I love you, and I have a gift for you this Christmas season. That passage in Matthew chapter number 2. In verse number one, it says, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now you imagine for a moment, just put this in your mind. These men, now we don't know if it was three or five or ten. We have no idea. We just know it was more than one. They came from the east and they had a long journey and they arrived. They're tired. They're exhausted. But the same time is they are excited because they know they're going to see this promised king of the Jews. And they arrive into Jerusalem. They're tired, they're probably smelly, and they come before King Herod and they ask him what they would consider a really simple question. Where is the king of the Jews who was born? Where is he? And they ask that question, and it says in verse number two, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now they ask what they consider a really logical question. Everyone should be celebrating just like they are. Everyone should be excited just like they are. They went and they came the furthest. Now I'm not going to do this today. But, you know, you think about who came the furthest to be here at church today. They've come all this way and they expect everyone to be just as excited as they are. You ever been to the airport and you watch people? It's actually quite interesting to watch people at the airport. There's some interesting people there. As you're watching people, you can tell the people who have no family to be greeted. They walk through the doors, particularly the international terminal, as they open up. And they walk through, and they're just focused. 
But then you can tell the people who are anticipating family on the other side. And they come around, and you know they come around, and they're like, And they're looking back and forth, looking around. And as soon as they see their loved one, they look right past you. And they get excited. And then they run and they embarrass themselves with a big, long hugs. This is, I kind of see how this is with the wise men. They've arrived here in Jerusalem anticipating something really exciting. They're anticipating a grand celebration. And instead, Herod got scared. He goes, what, 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 what king? Who are you talking about? And he gathers around him the high priests and the religious leaders, the scribes. All of Jerusalem was afraid. They were going, what is going on here? Because they were not anticipating that God had something for them. The high priests and the scribes went out and looked through the scriptures and looked through all the different prophecies, and they found a prophecy that was actually fulfilled in the wise men. In the book of Isaiah, chapter number 60, the wise men were fulfilling a prophecy, and it says, And the nation shall come to your light, and the kings to their brightness of your rising. They fulfilled a prophecy themselves that was prophesied 700 years before Jesus came. And these wise men were sitting here asking the question, Where's the king of the Jews? Just imagine, put yourself in their position. They've read the scriptures. They know the star is pointing to the king of the Jews, the promised Messiah. They've arrived into Jerusalem, and everyone in Jerusalem is going, um, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. In fact, they get scared. Have you ever knocked on the wrong door? thinking it's the right door and insisting that it's the right door and then finding out at the end that it's still the wrong door? A number of years ago, I embarrassed myself. And things, certain things that you do when you're a pastor, you follow them away and go, someday I'm going to use this as an illustration for church. A number of years ago, I was living in the United States and I, I had a friend living on a four-story apartment and I went, what I thought was his proper apartment, I thought his number was 206. So I go and I walk over to apartment 206 and I knock on the door. And this particular friend was a friend that would mess with you at any opportunity. They would happily watch you cringe and be uncomfortable just for their pleasure. So you learn when you have friends like that, you have friends like that, that you always seek to play it cool as long as possible. So I knocked on this person's door and I said, hey, is, is Sam here? And the guy looked at me blank face and goes, no. And I went, really? Come on. I've heard this joke before. And I tried to walk in and he steps in front of me. And this is in Missouri, so there's guns there. And he goes, like, I, and I quickly got the under impression that if I tried to insist that I was walking in, I was not going to be a walking out. <laughs> then it clicked in my mind. 206. 306, oh no, I have the wrong apartment. And no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I hope I never see you again. And you go up to the next apartment, you knock on the door, and you act like nothing happened. 
and you never tell that story again until you're into another continent. <laughs> in a similar way, I can see these wise men being similar. They show up in Jerusalem thinking there's going to be a great celebration. They're going to be welcomed in. Everyone's anticipating a grand party because the promised, prophesied Savior of the world, King Jesus, has arrived. And everyone's looking around going, what's he talking about? You obviously knocked on the wrong door. That passage continues on. And it tells that the scribes and the high priest got together and looked through the Bible and looked through all the scrolls and they found some prophecies talking about the coming Savior, Jesus. In the book of Matthew, chapter number 2, verse 6, it quotes the prophet Micah. And it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And they go, oh, he, this king must be born in Bethlehem. And Herod talks privately to these wise men and says, When you go and find this king, come back and tell me where he is so that I can worship him too. And in reality, Herod was thinking to himself, I'm going to kill this baby because if he's going to threaten my throne, I'm going to do away with him. And God worked through these wise men and working through them through a dream, told them to go back to their homeland a different direction and totally avoid Jerusalem and King Herod, thus saving Jesus' life. These wise men, when they arrived in Bethlehem, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. It says in verse number 11, And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm going to spend just a few moments talking about these wise men's gifts. If you have your bulletin, inside your bulletin, there's message notes. If you want to follow along this morning, you'll, you'll see the message notes inside the bulletin. If not, the scriptures and things will be on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bibles as well. The wise men gave three gifts, and these three gifts were gold and frankincense and myrrh. And there's a lot of symbolism around what this is, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You think, why give this to a baby? Normally, when you give gifts to a baby... You give clothes, here's nappies, here's baby wipes, and here's cash, because you're going to need cash. And there's some symbolism behind these gifts. First of all, we see gold. What's the symbolism behind, behind the gold? And this is very simple. I'm just going to walk through this very quickly. First of all, gold shows the kingship of God. What? More valuable thing can you give to a king than to give him gold? And it shows that Jesus is the king of Israel, the promised Messiah. These men understood what they were doing and what they were giving. First of all, they gave gold, which shows the kingship of God. Secondly, they gave frankincense. Now, frankincense is not a commonly used spice today, but it was a spice that is made from the sap of, of trees. And it has a smell that's used in the incense burning. With that, it shows that Jesus is the priest of God. You see, a priest is a go-between. 
one who goes between God and mankind. And just as in that frankincense is used in incense and in worship, and it's still even used today in some churches as, as symbolism for the prayers that are going up to God. They, they burn frankincense, which shows that Jesus is our priest. So first of all, the gold shows that Jesus is king. Secondly, the frankincense shows that Jesus is a high priest. And the third is myrrh. Myrrh is also taken from a, the, the sap of a tree. It's a very expensive spice that's even expensive even today. And it shows that Jesus is a prophet. You see, in the oils that were made for the anointing of a king, as you read through the Old Testament, you see of a number of the kings, they would anoint them with oil. And a prophet would take this oil, and inside of the oil wasn't just normal plain olive oil. They would have different spices put inside of this to make it a special ceremonial oil that they would anoint people. And the prophet would come along, and they would see a king, or they would see someone that would be called by God for something special, and then they would anoint that person's head with oil, thus showing that they've been set apart for something special. Here, these... Wise men bring a baby, gold, which shows his kingship. They bring him frankincense, which shows his priesthood, and also myrrh, which represents him as a prophet. You see, we often describe Jesus as our prophet, our priest, and our king. And we see that throughout the New Testament as Jesus fulfills this. The wise men's gifts represented each of those important offices that Jesus held. Jesus the king, Jesus the prophet, and also Jesus the priest. But something else that's quite remarkable. In that passage, we discover these wise men in verse number 12 were told by God to go a different way. So they get up and they go home a different way. And they leave behind Mary and Joseph and the baby still in danger from King Herod. And God did something remarkable. He came again and talked to Joseph. And it says in verse number 13, Now when they had departed, that is the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, and here's another dream that Joseph has, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he, that is Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill that the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. All of these things orchestrating to fulfill prophecies that have been prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. But something that's remarkable is God called a poor carpenter man named Joseph to be the earthly father of the king of the Jews, your king and my king, the Messiah. And also he was going to finance this trip to Egypt by gold and frankincense and myrrh. You imagine what's going through Joseph's mind. He 
discovers in a dream that he has to run away to Egypt. And he's naturally thinking, like every man does, how are we going to pay for this? And he goes, just yesterday, we got visited by three wise men, and they brought us enough gold and enough frankincense and enough myrrh to pay for the whole trip. God works in remarkable ways to bring about your salvation and my salvation. Because when these wise men brought this gift, they provided for Jesus' family to flee to Egypt, and it all worked out in the end. These wise men brought a gift, but really and in reality for you and for me, Jesus is the one who has the gift. He's the one that has the gift for you, and he also has the gift for these wise men as well. These wise men brought gifts for a prophet and a priest and a king, but Jesus is the gift for you and for me this Christmas. We're going to walk through four different gifts that Jesus has for us. I'm going to walk through them very quickly because we haven't opened our presents yet. So I understand. I understand there's other things that you want to do today, but let me encourage you just for a few moments today to take a moment and to recognize that Jesus has a gift for you. First of all, Jesus has the gift of light. Light versus the darkness of this world. Jesus says about himself in John chapter number 12, in verse 46, he says, I have come into the world as light that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I think it's very fair to say that we live in a very dark world and a world around us where wrong is seen as right and bad is seen as good. And the things that we stand for are often seen as things that are absolutely wrong and backward. And in reality, we just live in a very, very dark world. And when Jesus comes into our life, he gives us the gift of light. You ever walked into a dark room? And as confident as you are in walking, all of you know how to walk. Or you know how to move from one side of the room to the other. But when you're in the darkness, people walk really funny. Because you don't know what's in front of you. And you see people put their hands up and they walk around really weird. And you know how to walk. But, you, but in the darkness, we walk funny. In a similar way, in this world, we're walking in a dark world. And Jesus comes along and gives us the gift of light. Jesus came to turn our light into life. In John chapter number 8, verse 12, the, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus gives us the gift of light. He also gives us the gift of life. The life, the opposite of life, naturally is death. And Jesus says, I can that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is real life. That does not mean a get-rich-quick scheme if you become a Christian. What it talks about is your abundant life is the real life that you're created to live. Something I'm challenging my children as we grow and, to, and develop. We challenge my children to become the people that God created them to be. And that's my prayer for many of us. Specifically, I pray, God, will you work in their life? Will you help them to know the light? And you help them to know the life and have that life abundantly. Jesus traded our death 
for his life. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2, verse 5, it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's our sinfulness, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Jesus traded our sinfulness for his life. That's the gift that he has for you this Christmas. He has light. He has life. He also has given us liberty. That's another way of saying freedom, but I needed an L word. The liberty and the freedom that we enjoy. It says in Luke chapter number 4, verse 18, Jesus here is a, is a young man, and he's just beginning his ministry. He's around 30 years old, and some of you that's old, but still a young man. And he comes into the synagogue, and every week they would have the, the people read from the various scrolls. And Jesus takes a scroll from the prophet Isaiah and begins to read. And all along, he's reading, talking about himself. He's literally fulfilling the prophecy that was written 700 years before Jesus came. And you imagine him coming into the synagogue, pulling out the scroll and beginning to read. And all the people looking around going, what's he saying? He's come to give us liberty. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Any time that you have good news, you naturally want to share it with others. Not one person that's ever got engaged, particularly a young woman, ever got engaged and going, eh, not really that excited about it. The opposite. Every single person, and I'm so glad my wife did this too. When we are engaged, she walks around with her hand out and waiting for you to notice. And you go, oh, what's that sh shiny little speck on your finger? And they go, oh, you're engaged, and people are excited. When you have good news, you want to share it. And that's exactly the good news of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came to earth and lived a perfect life, died on a cruel cross and rose from the dead, we have some good news because we now have light and life and liberty as opposed to being detained. That passage continues on. In verse number 18, it continues and says, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the, a sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came along to give us good news. Is Jesus good news for you? Have you accepted his wonderful gift that he has for you this Christmas season? He says there to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This year may have been the hardest year of your life. You may be looking back on 2022 and going, good riddance 2022. I'm so glad that was over. Now 2023 is going to come and it can be so much better. And we can think and think and think and think and hope and cross our fingers and hope to die and all the various things we say. But what we can really say is when we understand the liberty of Jesus Christ and the gift that he has, we are no longer oppressed. We are set at liberty. We are set free through our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have a wonderful gift. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, 
It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We can experience light and life and liberty all because of the love of Jesus Christ. Because Christ loves us. That's our fourth point. Because of the love. The opposite of that is being lost. And being lost is a horrible feeling. No one enjoys being lost. It's a horrible feeling when you don't know where you are. And you can see it in people's faces. There's a stress level. Instantly, you start arguing with the people around you. We naturally blame other people as if it's their fault that we drove the wrong direction. And we don't enjoy that at all. But it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The opposite of being lost is to live in the love of God. And that's the gift that God has for you this Christmas season. How far would you go for someone you loved? How much would you pay for, for someone that you loved? Now, some of you, and me included, gift giving is hard work. What do you want? Just tell me exactly what you want, and then I'll get it for you. If you don't specifically tell me exactly what you want, then you end up in something that would disappoint you. Just hypothetically speaking. <laughs> Here, mankind, we don't know what we want. We honestly, as mankind, we're lost. We don't know what we need, but thank God the creator of the universe sent his son Jesus so that we can have not just what we need, but what we actually truly want in this life, which is fulfillment and the love of God. Luke chapter number 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So the real question of today is this, as I come to a conclusion. The wise men came and brought a gift to the King Jesus. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, which shows that Jesus is a king and a priest and a prophet. But in reality, Jesus, the baby, had a gift for them. And that same gift that he had for them, he has for you and for me this Christmas season. And the greatest thing that you can do this Christmas is to simply accept that wonderful free gift of salvation that God has for you through Jesus Christ so that you can live in the light and the life and the liberty because of the love of God this Christmas season. So in a moment, I'm going to let you mull that over. Because I would love to show you at the end of the, uh, end of the service today, out of the Word of God, the Bible, and to show you out of the Bible how you can accept that free gift of salvation. If you'd like to speak with someone else, I'll connect you with another person. Nothing is more important than you receiving that wonderful gift this Christmas. So I want you to mull that over. In a moment, we're going to spend some time in prayer. As we close our eyes, we close our eyes and bow our heads just so we can stop and think about what it is that God has for you because I don't want you to miss what God has for you this Christmas season.